Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah I'm Scott. And I'm Lee. And we're going to be going over Nehemiah 2. Sorry, but we're going to have, uh, we'll be missing Sean today. Um, if you could pray for him, he's handling some family business. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get started. Lee, what do you got? Nehemiah 2. I have Nehemiah 2 pulled up pulled up here on my, uh, on my Cambridge Clarion that you so kindly uh, art gilded for me. Dude, I just art gilded a... Uh, this brand new NASB Reader First Edition. It's a purple plum. Dude, it is gorgeous. Did you put pictures of it on Guys with Bibles? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't. I think I put it on everything. It's just your page? Yeah. You'll, ha- you'll make sure you, you'll have to post it. Yeah, I definitely have to I post it. Wanna, I hope people won't be too uh, envious when they look at it. Right. I mean, it is, it's a beautiful Bible. It's, it's gorgeous. gorgeous. It's gorgeous, it's doll. Gorgeous. All right. Nehemiah 2. Um... I don't think we're going to read the chapter. Um, they can read the chapter at home by themselves. I think let's hit some main points and we'll go through. Um, basically, this is Nehemiah's prayer um, after his um, chapter one was really what he was thinking, the grief mm-hmm. of the exiles. Um, so I think uh, verses one and four through four, um, this is about four months where by Nehemiah's opportunity came, this is in a time of four months, um, from Kislev to Nisan. Nisan was still uh, in Artaxerxes' 20th year um, because the regnal year started in Tishri. I think I'm saying that right, but I am mm-hmm. not positive I am. Um, which yeah, is you're 100% correct which is September <laughs> through October um, uh, as Nehemiah was going through his usual duties the king noticed some things different about Nehemiah's um, appearance uh, and his body gestures body language and he he ends up asking Nehemiah like what's what's wrong with you man uh, you're not you're not acting the same as you usually do because the king and Nehemiah they had a a relationship I would say um, that they were really close, you know? Yeah, like a close close professional relationship. Right, right. Um, yeah. Basically, he was the, as he ended in chapter one, I am the, I was the cupbearer to the king. Uh, he is basically saying, so the cupbearer is the person who would try the drink before it would touch the king's lips um, to make sure there wasn't any poison, no, uh, nothing's been done to the drink. 
Because um, that would be the easiest way to assassinate uh, a king would be to get your mole inside the kitchen, poison his food or his drink, and then he'd be out of your way. Right, right. And I, I found so that... So Nehemiah took the risks in being poisoned himself for the king's sake. And I, I found that, that last sentence very interesting because Jesus ends up being the cupbearer to the Father, right? He he drinks the cup of wrath, um, which ends up being poured out all over him. You know, um, we find that out. And uh, I, I think it's funny how the... Was it the sons of Zebedee? Um, his mother... Asked him if they would, if he would allow him to set yeah, his you, right and left hand, and he goes, can you "Drink from the cup that right. I drink from." And you can't drink from the cup. Like no yeah. one can drink from this cup except me. Yeah. So I thought yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, I think chat, cups are really important. Right, I mean, right. They, they have a big symbolic importance throughout yeah. the Old Testament, and I think Ch- <clears throat> symbolic importance. Chad yeah. Bird actually noted on that very very verse um, in one of his. 40 minutes in the Old Testament, if you guys don't watch that. That is, that is such that. a good podcast. I can't even handle it. Definitely a great podcast. I love it. They have great book reviews, um, great suggestions for learning material. Um, they got a great website. 1517 is probably one of the best podcasts out so far, I, I'd say. Um, they really... Yeah, they have a whole podcast whole network. podcast network, yeah, which is great. Um, and they're they're good Lutherans. They're not they're not uh, liberal, wacky Lutherans. Right, like they right. actually believe the Bible and uh, and they really love the real Jesus. Right. They hold they, scripture to the full stuff. truest authority, and um, I think that's very very honorable. As I'm glad to Lutherans. have Lutherans. Yes, me too. I am thankful to have them in my uh, side pocket to call upon. <laughs> Exactly. Like, hey Chad, hey, what's this mean? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's what this means. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, man. All right. Um, the king immediately noticed um Nehemiah's state of being. He was curious about um the depression since this was the first time he had seen his cupbearer um dejected. Um the way And Nehemiah openly says in the passage too that he he purposely kept his face from showing his sadness because he didn't want anybody to know what he was thinking about and what was going on in his heart. And yet Artaxerxes saw his sadness from from the very first moment, practically, right. that he saw him. He's like, why, why is your face sad? So you could tell they really did know each other very well if he was able to pick up on what he was feeling, even though he was trying to keep it off his face. Yeah, verse 3, he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place my father's tombs, lie desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? So right here he is admitting his grief about the city of Jerusalem and the walls and how um, all of the people have been scattered about throughout the land. Um, and they're Which all- we know about having read Ezra already. Right, and and if you read Ezra, you kind of already have um, a quick glimpse into Nehemiah's book um, where you already kind of have the foundational principles, what's going on. Um, so you kind of understand what Nehemiah is, was, is talking about in this chapter and why, why it's so important. Um, so as we move on, um, let's see. 
Uh-huh. I wanted to mention there in verse 7. Okay. So, well, first in verse 4, um, before he explains anything to the king, he asks, you know, the king asks, what would you request? And he prays to God first and then says, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I, It's interesting that he noted that he prayed first, and that reminds me of when Jesus promises the disciples that uh, people are going to drag you before kings and councils uh, and and uh, governing bodies like that, but not to worry at the time because the Holy Spirit would give them the words to say when the time was right. Right, and I think that's even true here. And Nehemiah, you know, prayed before he gave this testimony before the king, uh, and and God gave him the right words, and he moved he moved the king's heart to allow him to go. Exactly, exactly. Um, and also for for the listeners, I think it's very important that they know that this is 71 years before the temple had been rebuilt. So the year that this is going on is 444 B.C., um, and yet the city still needs much rebuilding, okay? So just just picture that. It's about 71 years before it was fully built, rebuilt. Yeah, because they, they can't really rebuild the temple until they actually put the walls right, back together right. first. Yeah, and... Like you were saying, Artaxerxes' heart responded to Nehemiah's statements. Um, so he asked Nehemiah what the king might do about the situation with Judea being a Persian province. And the cupbearer may have reasoned that perhaps the king would now be sensitive to Jerusalem's condition as it is lying in ruins. Um, and Artaxerxes was persuaded by the Holy Spirit in order to grant Nehemiah this time away and and i think you're going to mention coming up what he says as he sends nehemiah away um or the question he asks him um Mm -hmm. how long will you be gone um i think that's very important because obviously he wants nehemiah back Uh, right this is uh this is like applying for fmla like your job will be your job is going to be here when you come back right the important thing is that you need to come back yeah you go do what you need to do (laughs) And then just tell, just come back. Um, yeah, it's just like FMLA. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's taking a long-term sick leave. Long-term. Yeah, this, uh, it's a big job ahead of him. Um, also, wanted to note before we move before we move too far. You know, we, we've been talking, especially during Ezra, a lot of references to God's hand, the hand of God, God's good hand, God's powerful hand. And in verse eight, we get that again, where it says Nehemiah had asked. He was intelligent enough to know. Okay, I've got the permission of the king, but I'm going to have to prove this mission to the officials that I meet along the way in the province itself. Right. So he asks him for papers. He grants him papers, and it says at the end of verse 8, And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. And we've seen that motif throughout Ezra, particularly, where we're seeing the action of God is signified by God's hand being upon somebody or passing by somebody or something like that. This is sort of a nod to God's sovereignty over the events of people. Right. Because on one hand, you could say, I convinced the king with my eloquence to give me the papers because I was smart. 
you know, and somebody who's merely politically minded might say that, but because Nehemiah is a believer and his his eyes have been spiritually awakened to see God's plan and purposes and uh, and to be faithful to the calling God had given him, he sees the providence of God in being given this great latitude to return back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the city and restoring worship in the temple. So, right. the, the, you know, it's it's the eyes of a believer that see God at work in the events of people. Especially events in which you you yourself are a, a participant. You know, Nehemiah is a big part of the story. I mean, that's obviously it's why it's called Nehemiah. But Nehemiah himself never cast himself as the hero or the driving force of the whole thing. Consistently throughout this book, really throughout the whole Bible is the insistence of God's people that God is in control, and he's working out his plan using the means uh, of his creation, right. both believers and unbelievers. Exactly, exactly. Everything is guided by God's hand. Um, yeah. I know we've said before, we're going to just do an episode we, on we really the hand do. of God. Yes, we really do. I think it'd be <laughs> definitely beneficial, not only to us, but the listeners as well. Um, so, his. Uh, let's jump to 11 through 16. Well, one one quick thing in there in verse ten. This is a maybe more of a historical note, but um, in verse ten we've got the names of um, people that are already already in chapter two are beginning to push back against Nehemiah's uh, mission. Right, and it's San, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, um, and those those people. Um, are historical enemies of the Jewish people anyway. So the the Horonites are from Beth Horon, which is about kind of outside of miles. Jerusalem. Yeah, it's about fifteen miles northeast of Jerusalem. You might you might call it a suburb, except that they right. hate everybody that lives in the neighboring <laughs> suburb. So um, right. and then of course, you know the Ammonites, they've they've been an enemy of Israel and would be an enemy of Israel um yeah. throughout throughout the Old Testament until they got <laughs> until they got wiped out. Right, and they were <laughs> but, <laughs> very displeased when Nehemiah had arrived on the scene yeah, to help really Israel. Um, well, and you've got to think about it, too, from, from their perspective, you know. Uh, so so the, the Assyrians come in, and they drag the Israelites away into exile, and these guys who have hated them, you know, from the beginning— we're probably like, wow, awesome, you know, we're going to get in good with these people, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And then all of a sudden, you have Nehemiah stepping back into town with papers signed by the king saying, well, I'm, I'm putting the city together again, and we're coming back home. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, you know. We've hated these people for so long, and finally gotten rid of them, and they're coming back again. Once again, the good hand of God. Right. Okay. Now, I, I think um, since we recorded this last time and we're redoing it, um, I, think, uh, I think we hit on the gates, um, yes. which was next. Um, oh, oh, hang yes. on. No, before we get to the gates, let's talk about why Nehemiah went out at night um, and surveyed the walls and inspected the walls. Why did he go out at night? Yeah, and that's in verse 12. Yeah. So he he didn't even tell the people with him what they were doing while they were there because you know he had his own crew of people going with him on the road and they arrived and it says in verse twelve I arose in the night well they came to Jerusalem and was there for three days I arose in the night I and a few men with me 
I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So you can see, obviously, he, he's going to want to keep a low profile because they're surrounded by enemies there. I mean, the city had been completely destroyed, after all. Right. So if he's if he has plans to rebuild, he's going to want to go in the night, secretly, with no animals making any noise, no lights lighting their way, just making their way around, being very quiet, and telling no one about the plan to rebuild in Jerusalem. Right. He wanted to... Uh avoid letting others know his plan before they were firmly fixed in his mind. During these nights and hours, he gained um, perspective as he outlined, as outlined in chapter 3, as we're going to get to. Um, it developed an effective plan to accomplish the rebuilding of Jerusalem. In his nighttime inspection, he he came upon the gates. Um, so there's four gates. Oh, yeah. Right? So... Um, <laughs> So we have the Valley Gate, mm-hmm. um, the Jackwell, Jackal Well, um, the Dung Gate, the Fountain Gate, the King's Pool, and I think uh, well, I think that's it. Um, yeah, that's the only ones they yeah, named. Yeah, those were the only ones so, they named. Yeah, over the course of time, the old city of Jerusalem has had many gates. Right. Right, I think there was a dragon gate, wasn't there? Yeah, um, Dragon's Well. Dragon's Well, yeah. Also known as the Jackal's Well. Yeah. Um, So the the refuse gate, or more commonly known as the dung gate, has pretty much always been there uh, because it was an important route to move um, garbage and waste and all sorts of nasty things out of the city. Because, of course, you know, it's important. Ritual purity is super important. And if you read in uh, Leviticus, you see all the various ways that someone can become ritually unclean. More often than not, it usually involves touching the carcass of something, a dead animal or something. Right. So there had to be a safe way to remove unclean and unsanitary things from the city. And so they had a one distinct gate out of which you can take take the garbage and remove it from the city. So... There is still a dung gate now, even though it's not used in that way. And uh, did you know I went to Israel? Oh, yeah. I think I think everyone knows. <laughs> and if they don't, they should by so, now. <laughs> so we walked in and out of the dung gate several times while we were there. And it, it did not smell or anything. Are you sure? But these other... Did you well, check Well, not that I shoes? could smell anyway. All I could smell was falafel, frankly. Falafel. And that pleased me. What was What is falafel? Falafel is a delicious... Basically, imagine a hush puppy, but it's made with ground chickpeas and spices, and uh, and you you take three or four of them and put them in a pita pocket and cover them up with a bunch of good little uh, cabbage slaws and salads, and um, if you can get some like tzatziki sauce or, uh, or even tahini is really good, uh, and get all that mixed up in there, it's uh, delicious. Well, listeners, if you knew anything that Lee just said, um, <laughs> I have no idea what any of that mixture. You'll have is. to look it up. It's like the it's the national snack of Israel. Really, That's it's uh, really good, huh. and it's vegetarian, so it doesn't offend any of the various uh, religious diets around. So, um, kind of um, everybody can eat falafel. Unfortunately, I'm American, so I eat <laughs> I eat meat, red meat. <laughs> Bacon. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Bacon I, is I on enjoy my all the bounty foods. that God's given us to enjoy. Right. <laughs> but anyway, so these so these gates, like the Valley Gate and the Fountain Gate, those are those are not there today. 
or not under those names today at least, but the old city of Jerusalem has changed so much over time that there's always been a series of gates. They've not always had the same designation. But I can say there always has been a dung gate. And for instance, like the fountain gate and the king's pool, most likely that is uh, along the southern and eastern walls. That's usually known as the city of David, which actually is being uncovered more and more day by day and because the in that king's pool is most likely the pool of siloam where people were uh laying the uh sick and the lame in the new testament for healing yeah okay it's most likely that same pool but there's Hmm. no 100 percent way to tell but there are only so many pools in jerusalem so that's a pretty good guess well that's pretty neat So the next part, um, as we get into verses 17 through 18, is basically a challenge to his people. Um, So after Nehemiah had completed his secret survey and was satisfied that he had developed a workable plan um, to move on, the time came where he had to reveal to the Jews why he was in Jerusalem. Um, And when he says in verse 16, let's see. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who did the work. Right. In verse 17, then it said, then I said to them, meaning the Jews, so basically he's speaking. Jews, priests, nobles, officials, and the rest. Right. He's speaking to the, right. Um, First, he challenged them to notice their deplorable circumstances, which had brought them trouble and disgrace, um, as you found in chapter 1. Um, then he challenged them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and followed his challenge with a personal testimony as to how God's gracious hand um, had granted him favor before King Artaxerxes. Um, then when Nehemiah gave his challenge, the people's negative feelings um, became more positive. Uh, despair, Let us arise yeah, and build. Despair turned to hope. They responded and began to rebuild the rebuilding process basically um basically they just they're like all right let's do this all right we're with you let's do this um so apparently the word quickly spread um regarding the jews's response to nehemiah's challenge um and then in come the haters and as as soon as their enemies heard the news they stepped up their efforts to hinder the process right so they they came in and they were trying to stop what's going on they mocked they says they mocked us and despised us yeah and and there's a third there's a third mocker there too so sanballat the horonite and tobiah the ammonite and there again and geshem and yeah geshem the arab another historical enemy of the jewish people so but this is where this was pretty cool nehemiah he was ready for their their attack um he affirmed that god of heaven would be able to to succeed, to to overcome them, right? Um, the Jews, mm-hmm. um, God's servants, would rebuild, but the three opponents had no chance to share or claim or historic right to the city. Um, yeah, you have no portion, right, or right. memorial in Jerusalem. Right. I think that memorial that, word is very interesting, Right, and too. that means, like, no share or claim, uh, present or historic right, which is the past, um, to the mm. city. So they have no claim whatsoever to the city. You know, uh, the reason I mentioned the memorial word, because it, it reminds me of like in Genesis when when you've got people like Abraham 
Isaac, Jacob, and others after them who build various altars as memorials to God, uh, signifying, like, well, like, for instance, uh, Jacob, who became, who was renamed Israel later, um, put a memorial, uh, the spot where he saw the, the uh, ladder to heaven. In uh, places like that, you know, God's covenant people had memorials all over the landscape there, but these pagan peoples did not. It's almost like kind of like sticking the flag on the moon, so to speak. Like, you know, this is this is the territory of Yahweh's people. Here's here's our memorials. God gave us a right to be here. We have these memorials of our worship to Him all over the place. Not you. So we're coming back. Right. Exactly. So I don't really have anything. I don't have any more notes. Oh, one other thing, and I it maybe it's slightly political, but I'm going to say it anyway. The, the taunt that the enemies uh, give in verse 19, where it says, "What is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king?" You know, recently we've heard a lot of uh, strange attacks in our own politics about people who support the state of Israel right. um, within our government, saying that they have dual loyalties. And that same thing has been leveled against Jewish people, you know, well, since then. I mean, the same line of reasoning that these guys are using here is the same one that's being used now. Right. Where you can't have, it's either your religion or the state. You can't have both. And if you have a religious uh, connection to a place that's in another country, then they accuse you of being uh, disloyal to the king of the of the country you live in or the the ruler or the law of the country you live in if you swear an allegiance to your god right and it's as untrue now as it was then exactly just we as christians are are fortunate because our our religion is not lo- location based you know we don't have a temple in a certain place that needs to be maintained and if it's destroyed, our worship is invalidated or um, lessened. Right. You know, we don't ha- we don't we don't have a a high priestly caste anymore. You know, we have one high priest. Um, the church, the the spirit of God resides in the church, which is which means in in every believer. And so we don't have to have a central place of worship to go and do festivals. Those types are past now. And the fulfillment is in the church, which is across the world for a reason. Right. It's scattered for a reason. Some good points. Good points. So, Lee, where can they find us? They can find us on the website at guyswithbibles.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Pocket Casts, whatever podcatcher you choose. Um, if you're not into podcasts, you can also go to the website and stream the audio of each episode on the podcast page on our website. You can also go to the blog page and read the blog posts. We're trying to put out two a week, and we're I have to say we're not doing too bad at that right now. <laughs> Hopefully we keep up. Yeah. I think and uh, <laughs> aside from that, you can catch us on social media. We have a Facebook page, Guys with Bibles. Just send a uh, join request, and we will accept you and bring you in and into the conversation. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the same handle at guys with Bibles. You can also email us directly at guyswbibles at gmail.com.
Also, do you have any uh, suggestions for podcasts for the listeners to listen to? I know we already talked about 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. That's a fantastic podcast. Right. And then I also wanted to plug one other one. This is uh, from uh, Apologia Radio. It's called Cultish, C-U-L-T-I-S-H. I just listened to their uh, the three-part episode they did on um, defecting from Bethel. Uh-huh. Bethel Redding. They talked to a woman who just recently was um, kicked out of their um, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Right. She kind of tells some stories and lays out very coherently uh, why people like us vehemently disagree with what they're doing and call them to repentance. Very good cultish podcast. Actually, they're, they've done several cults already, just doing an, an investigation into <clears throat> what these cults believe why they are incorrect, encounters their beliefs with um, biblical exposition and Christian worldview. So very good podcast. I highly recommend Cultish. Right on, right on. Also, I would definitely recommend Doctrine and Devotional. Um, They're great. Also, the Bar Podcast um, with Dwayne Addison. Biblical and Reform. Boom. Um, Great dude. You'll love the his podcast. The best intro music in the business. Exactly. Yes, he's got some. <laughs> we got some sweet intro music too. But we, uh, we, yeah, we've yeah. got good intro music. Yeah, but his is really good too. And our intro is that uh, from Hazakim from Wrath and Grace. Also, he has a new album out called Origins. Uh, you can get that on iTunes or whatever other music place you get your music. Um, definitely check it out. Pretty good. All right, and we're guys of Bibles, and we're out. God bless.